I was grateful, but it didn't feel the way I thought it would feel. I, I thought, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm going to be someone different. I'm going to be, you know, so awesome. And it's just like, oh, oh, I did it. Luisa Joe runs the highly successful program Employee to Entrepreneur, which she has grown to a multi-million dollar business in just a few years. But she will be the first to tell you it was not a steady upward path. Let's take a small uh, detour because I do want to share a little bit about what happened with that first coach. I'm not going to share anybody's names or anything, but it actually turned out to be a horrible experience. The reality is that in our crazy world of online coaching, there are no guarantees. No single coach will be your salvation and no single bad coach will be responsible for your demise. In the end, it's up to you to learn from the best, to learn from the duds and keep on moving forward. And I'm going to dive deeper with Luisa about her success, her failures, and how she lost most of the millions she made in her first year. She's got a lesson in there for you, so keep listening. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're waiting for your next Zoom meeting to start, head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's our interview with the steady does it, never a quitter, Luisa Joe. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Koveny, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hi, everybody. Today we have Luisa Joe. I have been so excited about this interview because as many people know, my brand right before the global phenomenon was trailblazing out of corporate life. And that's exactly what Luisa helps her clients do. Luisa, hi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me here. I am so excited to interview you. I have so many things to ask you. This is going to be juicy. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit of who you are and what you do? Oh, those are two really big questions. I mean, who I am, so many different things, right? A little bit of a nerd, a little bit of a teacher, course creator, uh, mommy to my dog baby. Um, but in, in all seriousness, what I help people do is take their job skills or life experiences or knowledge of some sort and turn it into their own online coaching, service-based and or course business. Thank you so much for that. And I've been following you because you were basically like my mama bear. Uh, this was the same field that I was in. And I just looked up to you so much. I need you to know that, that I am in my mind. I'm interviewing such a celebrity right now that this is just so exciting to be in my shoes right now. So I wanted to start out because um, I ask this of everybody. There's a lot of people out there just walking around, living their merry life, not even knowing that online coaching is even a thing. And yeah. I am always very interested in finding out how you, how my guests got into finding out that this is an actual way to live. So can you take me back to a time when you were a regular person with regular aspirations and a regular life trajectory? And yeah. how, how did you become that? How did that light turn on for you? Talk to me. Mm -hmm. I totally get the person you just described because I used to be that person. And I would say about six, seven years ago, I was in a corporate job. All I knew was go to a good school, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder. And I mean, it seems a short amount of time, but really six, seven years in the online space is lifetimes. Right. And this was back when coaching, online coaching was kind of taking off a little bit more seeming to really build momentum. 
And around that time, I was looking up online businesses that I could build. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was I remember I was just looking around in Facebook groups. And one day I stumbled on this group where this woman was talking about building a coaching business. And I was like, what is this? What? Because uh, it was so different from all of the other online business options I'd learned where it was like, you know, make no money writing a blog and putting ads on it or right. trying to sell affiliate things. And I remember thinking, whoa, this is something that I could do. I have knowledge, I have skills, I love teaching and helping people. And so, okay, let me, let me learn more about this. And that's how it all got started. That is crazy. For me, it was just stumbling upon a podcast by Amy Porterfield and just starting to realize that there's another way. Any, anytime anybody brought up that they had a business outside of work, it was always an MLM. They were selling Mary Kay oh. or they were, so they would call it my business. And I'd be like, that's not really your business. <laughs> and I, I, that's all I thought that there was. So uh, when I found out that your first side business was uh, Excel consulting, like Excel mm -hmm. spreadsheets, consulting, I'm like, oh, we need to geek out about this. I just spent 15 years of my life in software project management where Excel became my best friend. And I'm just curious right now, do you still like geek out on Google Sheets and on Excel Sheets and creating macros and stuff like that? Uh, so yes, and no, I definitely have very detailed Google Sheets, but they're obviously not as robust as Microsoft Excel. I've since switched over to using the whole Mac system. And so unfortunately can't do as much Microsoft oh. Excel. Oh, well that, yeah, that's a cautionary tale for everybody out there. <laughs> but yeah, I was just creating one for the podcast and I'm like, oh, I wonder if I'm the only one who like love this stuff. As <laughs> no. um, so here's, um, here's where I want to keep going with this conversation. So you had a pretty good job. Can you tell us a little bit of what you did while you were starting your side business? Because I think it's super interesting. Yeah. So I definitely had worked my butt off to get to where I was in my career. At that point, I was a manager um, at a digital advertising startup. Well, it was a startup when I joined. By the time uh, I I left, it was a billion dollar IPO'd unicorn. Right. And so what I did was I managed uh, one of the main core teams where we handled the advertising of really big clients like Mercedes, BMW. So that, that those are the kind of clients we worked with. And I had a team of about seven people. We oversaw, I don't even know, millions, maybe tens of millions. It's been a while in revenue. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of responsibility. It was a great high six-figure salary. And I mean, it was everything that I had dreamed of when I started my work, work life. Yeah. So why... Why even look into other things? I know that you didn't just quit your job or lost your job. No. You actually started building it on the side. So, but why would you do that? Why? You, have, yeah. you have the dream. So what, what was that impetus that made you do that? There were a few things. And I mean, it wasn't easy. There were definitely times, a lot of times when I remember thinking, what am I doing? This is really stupid. Why don't I just focus on my career? And there were, the, one of the first things was I, I felt like, okay, there has to be more because even though I've got the career I wanted, I'm still spending all day essentially working on Microsoft Excel and on PowerPoints. Right. And I was thinking, this can't be it. There has <laughs> to be more. But 
there was one conversation I had with our senior vice president. He was right under the, the CEO and he was telling us about how he had to put together another presentation for a client and how he hadn't seen his kids in a while. And I remember thinking, so basically, if I do a good job and get to there at some point, I'm still going to be doing the same thing. And I don't like you know, where's the cool stuff about being in a job that you see on in, in the movies? Right. And so that kind of started getting me thinking about it a little bit. But what really kind of lit a fire under me was um, over the span of about a year, everyone in my immediate family had something life-threatening happen to them, mm-hmm. essentially. My mother was diagnosed with cancer. My father had to be rushed to the ER for emergency heart surgery. And my sister got in this freak snowball accident where the doctors thought that she might lose her eyesight in one eye. And because it happened over a year, uh, I didn't have enough vacation days just to take off, you know, a year or two years and and be with everyone. And I wasn't going to be irresponsible and just be like, okay, you know, I'm quitting my job. And so that made me realize, okay, well, at the end of the day, if you can't be there and with the people that you love the most and who need you when they need you, what is this all for? And that really was the motivation that got me to put myself out there to start working outside of my job and to figure out, okay, what can I do to be able to make that happen? Yeah. And I totally... Completely relate. And uh, there's a lot of people who are listening right now who are experiencing that exact same thing right now, right? Who are saying to themselves, well, there's so much going on that I can't quit my job. There's, there's no way, like I have to hang on to my job because mm-hmm. of all of these health needs. And you kind of went the other way. You kind of said, yes, all these things are happening. The more reason I need to do something about this. And I I did my homework and I'm going to put the link to a Forbes article that featured you. I'm going to put it right in the description so everybody can go read it because to me, it it showed, you know, the, the interviewer asked you, um, you know, but how did you make that work? And you're like, well, some people go home and watch Netflix. I went home and did my thing. So uh, can you tell us a little bit of what it took to actually start your business as you already have a high demanding career? Because it's a question we get a lot. How am I supposed to do everything at once? Can you tell us what it was like for you to do everything at once? Yeah, I'll be honest. Frankly, it was miserable. <laughs> it was, uh, I would have to say... Basically, the hardest thing I've ever done. And, you know, in the past, when I've shared, like, it took a lot of discipline. It definitely took cutting out TV shows. It took cutting out really any social life that I had. And something, and I'm happy to share more details, which I'll do in a second, but something that yeah. comes up sometimes is people point out, look, you didn't have kids. And that's a big advantage in terms of having available time. And I absolutely agree. That being said, at this point, I've worked with so many people who have kids and it's the same thing. And so I'm coming from this place of hopefully being helpful versus like, oh, you know, I did some stuff that you can't do. And mm-hmm. and the truth is, no matter what's going on, because I did have a really demanding job, uh, I just made time in the small pockets that I had. It was literally if I was on my commute. So uh, if I was on the public transit and I could listen to something, I would do that. If I came home and I was exhausted, but let's say I had 15 minutes, then I would do something. And so it was really about just finding time wherever you could make it, even if you were tired, but also using that limited time to the utmost. So 
for example, in the beginning, I didn't spend a lot of time on building a beautiful website or on perfecting my, my email sequence or things that are important down the road, but not so much so when you're starting out. Instead, I focused on finding my potential clients on social media, on sharing content with them, on talking to them. So that even if I had 15 minutes, I could write a post that taught something. And then I could say, okay, at least I did one thing today. And so it was a combination of all of that, plus just being in it and not giving up. And so that I let the momentum build up for me each day that I put a post. And then the next day and people started realizing, oh, this Louisa chick, she's, she's here to stay and she's got some good knowledge to share. Maybe let me check her out a little bit more. Yeah. And I so relate to that because I have two kids myself. I have a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I'm going to tell you, I am, I have been guilty of looking at, you know, a lot of my peers in the entrepreneurial world don't have kids. So I am guilty of saying like, but they don't have kids, right? I'm guilty of saying that at the same time, you know, we all have constraints, right? We all just have different constraints. It has, it has still been possible for me to do what I want to do, even though I have to, I just have to be more judicious with my time exactly the way you were. When I was working full time and I had my son, I was waking up at four in the morning to make websites. I, that was my time and I would make it fun, right? It wouldn't be like, Mm -hmm. oh, to get up at four. (laughs) No, actually I created a Google spreadsheet where I ended Mm -hmm. up tracking my time in 15 minute intervals Mm -hmm. because I had to be Mm -hmm. really, really careful how I spent my time. And I loved seeing that huge chunk of time that was waiting for me tomorrow morning at four. And I would wake up and I would put my big bathrobe that felt Mm -hmm. so cozy Mm -hmm. and I would make a hot chocolate. I'd be like, this is my time. So so you hear, um, and I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, we all kind of have to take a look at our time and decide what to do with it. And there may be moms that are hearing us right now who say like, well, I want to be sleeping at four in the morning. Great. But if you want to build a business, where else are you going to carve out the time? So I think you have a a really good point in that. Well, we have to figure out how we're going to be spending it, right? And it's all up to us. We all have unique circumstances. And uh, I want to go back to you doing this, knowing that you were sacrificing your social life, knowing that you were sacrificing like your time, your sleep, your sanity for a dream. But what was that dream? I would love to know what did you think back then that you were trying to accomplish? What were you trying to get at? At that point, what did you think was going to be? If I do that, if I get there, I will have made it. What were you working towards? Yeah. So to be honest, at that time, the dream was not that tangible. I just had a few feelings essentially that I was working towards. The first was be able to make enough money to take care of my family, to be able to see them and be with them. However, whenever I needed to, that was feeling number one. Feeling number two was that I'm meant for something bigger. And I know so many of us have that feeling that this can't be it, right? It can't just be, I go into an office and even though I love my coworkers and I'm really appreciative of my employer, it can't just be, I sit down, turn on my computer, be in Excel and PowerPoint all day, write some emails, and then that's my life. And so there was that feeling that, okay, I'm gonna, I have a lot more to share and contribute. And so I'm gonna do that. And it was really those two feelings. So it wasn't so much a, okay, I have a tangible income goal I'm gonna hit or, at least in the beginning, and it wasn't anything like that, or I'm going to have this an audience of this size. It was just those two feelings that, 
that I was following the, the entire time in the beginning. Yeah. At what point did you get introduced to the concept of hiring a coach? Mm. I would say pretty early on. And the reason is because if, uh, if you remember when I mentioned when I first found someone in a Facebook group talking about it, right at that time, they were opening a, a program to uh, help people learn how to build a coaching business. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I grew up in a family where my parents, you know, made a very middle class income and my my dad was one person supporting me, my sister and my mother. And so we had to be very frugal, but at the same time, my parents always invest in our education. I have no idea looking back how they made it happen, but they did. Like we didn't go out to eat. We didn't go on vacations. We didn't go watch the movies, but if there was uh, like a summer camp or something, my parents found the money. And so the mentality I'd always had, thankfully, growing up was you invest in yourself. And so I saw that program, I believe it was $2,000, and I joined it. And that just opened my eyes to what was possible. But what I realized was that there was, like, it was a good program, but I wanted more. I wanted faster results. It wasn't designed to help someone be able to replace their income in a a short amount of time. And so I went on, I found other coaches, and each time I found a coach, I realized another skill that I needed to develop or wanted to develop to be able to grow faster. And so I hired someone to really help me understand how to set up a coaching business. I hired someone to help me uh, learn how to sell. I hired someone to teach me how to do copywriting, right? Basically for my business. I hired someone to teach me how to navigate social media. And so all of these things, I really... I mean, looking back, I, I don't know where I got the, I don't want to, I don't know, recklessness or just uh, kind of putting on the blinders and being like, look, this is what I need to invest in and I'm going to make it happen. But whatever it was, I'm grateful for it because I learned all of these skills. I did it quickly. And because I knew, look, the truth is most of the time, if you want to go somewhere, there's someone who's done it before you. Mm-hmm. And so why the heck wouldn't you get their help to go there faster? Instead, especially when you're in a job, maybe you have a little bit of extra income instead of trying to figure it out on your own. Yes, it's cheaper, but is it really? Because it would take, it would have taken me a lot longer, frankly. And right. I didn't want that. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm with you now, but when I first signed up for my first coach, those were not mm. the thoughts that were going through my head. No. And, I, oh, and no. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what that, what that journey was like for you. I'm going to tell you, um, I've told this story like many times before, so I know my audience knows it. So I'm just going to like snip it. But um, when I first signed up to work with my first coach, the, the ask was $800 a month. Now you and mm. I know that that's like, peanuts in comparison to what, you know, what we've invested in ourselves you know, at this point in our business. But to me, that was the entire revenue of my side yeah. business. I was handing it over to someone that I've never really worked with before. I am smart. I am resourceful. I can learn so many things on my own. Why would I ever spend that mm-hmm. kind, spend that kind of money on this? right? For me, it came down to, and it took me two months to really come around to the idea. She was super nice. She, she just had the sales call. She told me how much it was. I told her I would get back to her. Two months later, after ruminating mm. it and figuring out that I'm going to need help if I really want to make this happen, 
I'm going to need expert help. And that's when I decided to sign up. So I wonder what was the, the internal dialogue for you to say, I've never invested this much in me before. I am smart. I am resourceful. I know I can learn anything I put my mind to. So why would I need this? I would love to know what your process of making that decision was. Yeah. So my process was a little bit different. So I had hired, I think a first coach for just a few hundred dollars. And then I'd invested in that $2,000 course, but after that, my first real coach, it was an, a crazy amount that scared the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. It was $18,000. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what, like how, you know, like never in my life had I spent that much on any one investment mm-hmm. aside from, I guess, my college education. But, mm-hmm. um, I remember thinking, okay, so I found this person and then within 24 hours I decided, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do it. And it was crazy because I didn't so much think about, okay, you know, can I, like, I didn't even think about, can I do this on my own? I knew I could, but the trade-off was how much time is it going to take me to figure it out? And I'm not willing to wait that. What if it takes me another three years? What if, um, you know, my dad has a heart attack or whatever. It just, I wasn't going to do that. And so I also figured, you know what? I was young. I, I had a great salary. I was frugal. I didn't have any debt luckily. And so, you know what, worst case scenario, I spend the money. It doesn't work out. I can all recover. I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, I put it on a credit card and I remember thinking, okay, I can't tell anyone about this. I can't tell my parents. I can't tell my uh, then boyfriend, now husband about this because they're going to think I'm crazy. And so I, I didn't tell anyone about it. And I mean, for me, it was even after I made the investment, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? But thankfully I was able to say, you know what? I made it. Now I'm going to trust myself and I'm going to make the most out of it. And for me, it was more about, I found the person who I felt like would be a good fit and that was their price. And so, okay, great. That's, that's what their price is. So tell us a little bit about what happened next. So people are listening right now and they're like, okay, I just got off a sales call and they want me to pay $18,000 and I'm here thinking about doing that. Okay, maybe I'm going to do it. I want to know, okay, what happens then? So tell us a little bit of the success that you've gotten in your business since then. Okay, so let me first, let's take a small uh, detour because I do want to share a little bit about what happened with that first coach. Yes. Because uh, this this happened. Um, and I'm not going to share anybody's names mm-hmm. or anything, but it actually turned out to be a horrible experience. No. So that coach actually just ended up um, being really new to business themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically when I got stuck, all they could say was, oh, that's, I don't know, that's, Uh, not how I did it. So you should just do it this way. And when I did it their way and it didn't work, they would just say things like, oh, well, it worked for me. And so that's, uh, you know, those are not, not good signs. And I remember feeling really upset and resentful because I know a lot of people who have made bad investments as well. But what I was able to do was just thankfully say, okay, what can I get out of this? And there were some strengths that that coach had. And so I was able to learn from that. And then I went on and <laughs> invested in the other coaches that I mentioned earlier to get what I need. And I, I wanted to share that in particular because it's not like, it's not as if you just invest in a coach and things magically happen. You have to be prepared, of course, and then you have to do your due diligence and make sure you're hiring the right person. Yeah. And so if anyone listening to this has had a bad hiring experience, I want you to know that's okay. It sucks. I've absolutely been there, uh, but you're going to get over it and you're going to do what you need to do. 
Um, before you keep going, thank you so much for sharing that. I have had my fear of, you know, bad investments in the past, but in my mind, it's like I paid to learn something new or to get a new experience or to get a new network. And by golly, I'm going to do it. So with bad investments, once I realized, wow, this is not what I thought it was, I splash water in my face and say, what can I get out of this? Mm -hmm. And I've gotten incredible things out of it. A lot of the things that people are seeing in this podcast, a lot of the guests that I'm having are Mm -hmm. all based on that bad investment that I made before Mm -hmm. that didn't work out the way that I thought. It actually sparked a lot of things (laughs) that everybody sees me doing my business right now. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important what you said is that, yes, you're going to run into some dots. There's no guarantees when you put down that kind of cash to work with someone. There is no silver bullet. There's just you having the attitude of saying, well, I'm going to thrive regardless of what you said. So thank you for sharing that with us. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, I mean, now we get to talk about the good stuff. So after that, really... Uh, And I do want to caveat also that before things started taking off, I had built my first physical business like over 10 years before that. I had failed uh, at a a tech startup before that. And so it wasn't as if I just started and then became an overnight success. So let's be super clear on that. A lot of time and effort went into it beforehand. But once things started taking off, they really turned around. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was within about four months, I'd crossed over six figures in sales and I was able to turn in my notice. And then after I did that, people started asking me, hey, how are you able to do this while in your job and uh, just figuring out even what business you could start. And so I said, okay, you know what? Let me teach you exactly what I did. And that thus I shifted into my current business, helping people go from employee to entrepreneur. Yeah. I, and I love that because you actually, um, you were featured in Forbes for having reached, you know, the million dollar mark in your business in just, a, it was just within the first year, wasn't it? That's right. Right. So I want you to tell us, first of all, how the heck does that feel, right? When you've reached that milestone. And also I would love to know what lessons did you get from that experience and what happened next? So let's start with the good stuff. How did that feel to cross that mark? Yeah, so it felt, I mean, actually, so I was grateful, but it didn't feel the way I thought it would feel. I, I thought, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm going to be someone different. I'm going to be, you know, so awesome. And it's just like, oh, oh, I did it. Um, and so there was excitement a little bit, but it wasn't the like life-changing, you know, like Cinderella moment <laughs> that I <laughs> to be in my mind. So that was a really interesting aha. Um, And then what was the the next part of the question? And what were some lessons Mm. that you had? So you've made the mark. What Mm -hmm. happened next and what lessons can you share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I learned it's one thing to make a million. It's another thing to keep it. So what happened? And after that was, I did kind of let it go to my head where I was like, oh, I'm such a big deal. I made this much money so quickly. And, you know, now I'm never going to do any of the things that I did growing up. I'm never going to write economy again or fly economy again. I'm going to buy the nicest things. I'm going to go on a shopping spree. I'm going to live in one of the fanciest apartment buildings in New York. And so I did all of that and I spent all the money. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, not all of it, but a lot of it. And so. Uh, looking back, 
I like after that, I would say the year after that, I really beat myself about, about it because I was like, wow, that was really a dumb thing to do. Why didn't I, you know, like level up a little more slowly? Why wasn't I a little bit more humble? But honestly, I was not prepared to have that much money. I had not grown up with any examples of how to be smart with a large relative or relatively large amount of money. And I didn't know how to appreciate it. I didn't know how to be mature about it, how to really just manage it. And uh, you know what? I had to go through that to learn uh, the things that I did that I now know about how to manage more money. And looking back, I don't know that I would redo it again, though, (laughs) to be honest. It's just kind of those lessons, one of those life lessons where it's, okay, one thing to make some money, it's a totally different thing to first make it again year after year and consistently make more. Second, Mm -hmm. not let it go to your head. And third, to keep it. Yeah. What do you think is something that people can walk away with from that lesson and say, okay, that, that's, that won't be me. I want to learn from Luisa's experience. What would you tell people to do? So they, they've made it. They feel like they're successful. What would you recommend that they do or don't do? Yeah, so really, here's the thing. I'm not a financial expert. And so disclaimer. my advice is more about, exactly, big disclaimer. But my advice is more about there's no one right or wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankly, if you spend all your money and you feel good about it, great. That Some people might say that's irresponsible, but it really, I mean, at the end of the day, it's your life. I've been responsible all my life up to that point. And <laughs> yes, there's a part of me that's like, I could have saved more, but I don't regret it. It really allowed me to live out some really cool dreams that I had. And so, you know, if I made all that money and saved it, I don't know. I might have be now here sharing with you how resentful I was after my first year that I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy it. So, yeah. but what I would recommend is to whatever your next income goal is, that big goal, to decide beforehand what you're going to do with it. Don't wait until after you've gotten it to say, okay, well, what do I feel like doing now? Because it probably won't be the thing that the you now in your smart, uh, right. Uh, thinking is going to be thinking about it. So be thinking about, okay, if I make this after taxes, how much was I ha- will I have? And yeah, don't forget about taxes. <laughs> very, very important. But after taxes, how much will I have? What do I want to do with that money? Do I want to save whatever percentage to put towards my investments or my retirement or a uh, home or whatever? And then the rest, what am I going to do with it, right? What are some really amazing experiences that I could use with that to really appreciate it um, while being smart with my money? I will have to say this happened by accident, but I ended up using a lot of that money or some of it to create some really memorable life experiences. I took my sister after her college graduation on a trip, just the two of us throughout Italy. And so, I mean, we just like ate, stayed, drank all of the, and had like the most amazing time ever. And it was really a once in a lifetime experience. Um, I I joined a gym and got to work out next to JLo, right? So some really cool stuff there. And um, just make sure that, you know, you're doing a few things like that for yourself. That is amazing. I, I think it is important that I know I tell people that the money shouldn't be 
the goal. It should be the tool that helps you reach your goal, right? Um, so I think it's important to know what your goals are. What is it that you would that you would do with the money? One thing that I would love to do is to take, if my son is learning about Abraham Lincoln, I want to take him to Abraham Lincoln's house and mm. I want him to go visit a plantation and see what yeah. slavery was and why this is an important thing to know about our history. Like I'd love to do educational trips like that with my kids. And so having that dream of the kind of life that you want to have once you make it there, I think it's so important. So thank you for sharing that with us too. Uh, oh, do, you, do you mind if I ask you a little bit about your business now? No, not at all. Let's talk about business. So I would love to know if you can explain to us a little bit of where your revenue comes from in your business. And I would love to know what your team looks like to support your business model. Oh, I love talking about this. Okay, so the majority of my revenue comes from my flagship program. It's called Employee to Entrepreneur. Um, and uh, I don't know, I've added a lot of products this year, so I haven't done the calculation for the percentage. But up until last year, it was over 90% of my revenue. Mm -hmm. And I run a multiple seven figure business. So that puts it into perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I also do offer a high end uh, mastermind coaching where I personally coach a small group of entrepreneurs. And that is, I mean, it's a good multiple six figure income, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't compare to my uh, course revenue. Uh, and then I did make the decision at the beginning of next year that I am going to stop offering that because um, I've been coaching now for about six years. And I, I love my coaching clients, but it just feels like time for me to be go off and try something different. Yeah. Um, and then I do this starting, well, I started last year, but really I've created a suite of a ton of other courses on things that I want to teach people outside of what I teach in my flagship programs. And so, um, for example, one of them is a course called business behind the scenes, where I take you actually behind the scenes of what it's like to run a business, how you set up a team and, and all of those things, things that I just, I don't see other people talking about or teaching about, but that are so important. Right. So things like that. Um, and that has started to consist of a good percentage of my revenue as well. So as you can see, basically, I started out coaching. And what I did was I turned that experience and knowledge and the reputation that I built being a really great coach and helping my clients get amazing results into creating amazing group programs. And now at this point, self-study courses. So that's been an evolution over the past about five to six years. Um, my team. So I've got a very different philosophy than most people in this industry where I, you know, I remember from my very first year, people would be surprised at how small my team was. And they would then talk about their like COOs, their integrators and everything. And my thought was, look, part of one of the amazing things about running an online business like this is that it can be lean. And frankly, it should be. Um, you don't need that kind of stuff, especially if you're doing only relatively low seven figures, mm -hmm. you know? And so my team is very lean. I'm the only full-time employee. Mm -hmm. I do have a pretty big team of contractors and, you know, this varies, but for the most part, my team is, I have about two customer support people. One of them also manages my operations. So setting up my email marketing software and sending out emails, managing my course membership site, things like that. 
I've got my designer on retainer. Pretty much everyone's on some sort of, you know, continuing uh, basis. Absolutely. They're just not full time and they don't need to be. My designer, who is absolutely on retainer. Uh, I, in the past, have worked with copywriters to write my sales emails and emails and everything. But after testing all of that, I realized no one can and communicate what I want to as well as I do. And this business is branded around me. It's content that I enjoy sharing. And so I just got really fast at creating my own content. So I do my own content creation. I do have a, um, a, a team that takes my what I teach and puts it into my blog for search traffic optimization. Uh, I have had lots of different ads managers to manage my page traffic. So different acquisition channels. And then I do have a team that manages my YouTube channel as well. In the past, I've also worked with video editors for my different videos, and I have worked with program coaches. I tested that model to have program coaches coach during my live programs and during my mastermind, and uh, I'm sure I'm missing one or two people, but everyone, like I said, is very much like, you know, the people I hire, they they share the same value. As I do. They're going to take good care of my clients, my students, and then they're going to go off and live great lives themselves, right? There, no one here is looking to get, climb their own corporate ladder or get a, an amazing VP title or something like that. We just have a different set of priorities. And so it just ends up working out really well. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I have like a million questions and we don't have all the time in the world. So I'm going to narrow it down to like just a couple, but I would love to know how you, as the, the person who does the content creation, how you fit that into your week. Do you have a weekly routine? Do you have a monthly routine? How does that work for you? Yeah. So I also don't do it the way most people do it. What I practiced over the last five to six years was getting really fast and good at creating my content. Mm-hmm. So now, of course, I have five years worth of pretty much daily content. So there's a lot of content I can reuse. And sometimes I do, if there's an email I want to write and it's something I've talked about before, I'll reuse it. So that's, you know, five minute fix. If I'm writing a new email, then I'll just sit down and write it in about 15 minutes. And if it's a really long email or takes me a little bit longer, max 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so that allows me to basically keep my work time under 10 hours a week, sometimes a lot less. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to create my content without having to batch it beforehand. I used to do that when I was starting out because it just felt easier. And I was a lot slower at my content creation, but now that just feels like way too much pressure and work. And so I'm more of a, let me be in the flow. Let me create great content. Let me do it quickly mentality. And of course, it's a skill that I've really intentionally developed. So you only do it when you need to create that content. You don't have like, you know, every Monday is your content creation day or things like that. It's like, if you need so, to do it, just sit down and do it. So I write almost daily uh, weekday emails to my email list, right? Mm -hmm. So every morning, one of the first things I'll do is if I need to write an email, then I'll write it. And then if it's an email that I've written before that I'm going to just update, then I'll update it and then get it done. And I mean, so I'll start my day maybe at like 10. And so by the time 1030, it comes around, I'm done with that. And that's it. And then if I need to move something over to social media, you know, like my Instagram, then I'll just modify the email and pop it onto social media. I'm all about, look, let's keep it simple. Yeah. And uh, which actually leads me to this next question, which is, I, I feel like we can learn a lot from the things that you're doing. Everything that you're telling us, by the way, is gold. Like people should be like writing down on a notepad everything that you're saying right now. But we can also learn from the things that you've chosen not to do. So I would love to ask you about some trends that are out there that other entrepreneurs are doing that you have consciously decided. I'm not going to get into that right now. For example, 
podcasting, for example, TikToking, yeah. for example, Instagram yeah. Reels. Like, what are some things that you've said, yes, but not yet, or definitely not? Yeah. So, full caveat, I have done two Instagram Reels. So, ah. I'll try that a little bit. <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't made my first yet. I'm <laughs> like, waiting for it to be perfect or fun. something. They're really fun. But, okay. More seriously, I mean, from day one, I had a vision of what I wanted to do in this business. I knew that it was just going to be a business that I was in for life, that it grew, but that it didn't need me to be present every second to grow. For example, a course, right? I put everything I have to say about that topic inside the course, all my experience, all my time. And if I need to update it, I will, but you don't need me inside the course. You have my content. And so from day one, that was the kind of business that I wanted to build. And then backtrack or reverse engineering from that, I figured out, okay, what are the things that are going to be long-term and sustainable and scalable that are going to allow me to have that kind of business? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've done is, as you know, I am well known for having some of the biggest non-affiliate launches in the industry. I have a really great launch strategy and I do it on my own and it works out really well. That being said, I knew I wasn't going to do it for life. I knew that I was going to do it to build momentum, to really establish myself as a leader in the industry. And then once I did that and bought myself the time to have my other systems build up, I was going to transition into things that didn't require as much energy on my part to continue to grow my business. And so whenever I look at something, whenever I'm making a decision, it's always from that lens. Is this long-term? Is this consistent? Is this scalable? Right? I don't want to just do one thing and then have only five people see it and then it doesn't pay off. And so, for example, why I didn't choose to do podcasting, I mean, obviously it is long-term and consistent, but I have other channels that I'm already um, invested in that are not fads, right? I mean, I'm not saying podcasting is a fad, by the way, I want to make that clear, but I just chose from day one, the channels that I was going to invest in, my YouTube, my blog, um, really kind of doing some affiliate promotions, maybe being interviewed on podcasts. And I was going to double down on those and let those scale as time went on versus jumping on every new trend. Now there might come a time in the future when I say, okay, podcasting is the thing, but it will be because it in some way, shape or form now fits in into my long term, And I figured out a way to systematize it and not, you know, make it be super time consuming on my part. Yeah, I, I love it because basically I just wrote down something you're doing very right. It's just to follow your values, to know what your values are and just to act accordingly, to not let, Always, the, yeah. not let the squirrel take you away from your goals. Um, so I have just two more questions. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, one of the biggest things that stands out is this conception or misconception that I'm, you know, I'm special or different or there's something I have that other people don't have. And I remember there was once when, this is a few years ago when I was sharing a webinar and saying, hey, right, let me share with you how I built my first online business while on my job. And frankly, I, I believe this to this day. If I can do something, you can do it too. And I remember I was so hurt. Someone wrote in the comment on the webinar, like, oh, you know, you graduated from Princeton. You used to be a space station engineer. You had a six figure salary. We can relate. We can do that too. Yeah. Right. And I remember thinking, you know, all of those things, I went to school with some real geniuses. So I know what that looks like. I am not one of them. I'm yes, I'm smart, 
But more importantly, I'm hardworking, I'm humble, right? I'm willing to learn and I don't give up. And that is, those are the values that we can all, and skills that we can all, we all have and can choose to have and develop that really have helped me hit the goals that I have wanted to hit. And so what I would always share is yes, right. Work with your advantages. We all have them, but at the same time, don't assume that just because someone else did something, they have something that you don't have because chances are pretty likely that if you're willing to focus on those things that I just mentioned, that whatever they have that you want, you can get it for yourself. Yeah. I love that. And the final question, I'm giving you the power that the world is listening to you and they have to do whatever you say right now in the next 24 hours and they have to do it. They have no choice to improve their life, to grow their business, to be a happier person, whatever it is, but you feel like the world needs to do it now. What is that thing? Mm, That's a tough one. I was thinking about this. So I would say what it comes down to is I truly believe what we do is a result of what we think and how we feel, right? If you think you can't do something, no matter what actions you take, you're always going to be looking for a reason to fail. And so what I would recommend is for the next 24 hours to have everyone on the planet, essentially, you know, assuming that I can also during that time, get them the food, the water that everyone needs, especially in, uh, you know, certain countries, then I would say, let's monitor our thoughts. Let's monitor our emotions and really see, like write them down and see what comes up because you will be surprised. You're going to be thinking the same thoughts over and over and over. And if you can call them out and notice them, what you can do is then change them. So for some people, like we talked about at the beginning of this interview, people might be thinking, I can't find the time. I can't find the time. I can't find the time. You note that down and then you realize, oh, I was thinking this while I was uh, folding the laundry. So what if instead of folding the laundry, I changed this to thinking about the post I could write for my business so that when I sit down, I have it written out and I can have it done, right? That is, I would say, the biggest difference maker, especially in the beginning and really always, but especially in the beginning so that you can get started and realize, okay, this is the why my thoughts and emotions are keeping me stuck. And this is what I can do to reframe it and get to where I want to be. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You can find Louisa Joe by going to LuisaJoe.com. That's spelled Louisa, L-U-I-S-A, Joe, Z-H-O-U, LuisaJoe.com. Louisa Joe, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. Thanks so much for having me here and for the awesome questions. Hey there, Ina here. After this episode, you may be wondering how you can also achieve the kind of success that our guest has experienced in their entire career. So hit follow and subscribe to catch me on Thursday for a brand new lesson on how to grow your coaching business, even if you have a small audience. And if you'd like to hear the full interview with all the details that only the super fans care about, get free access to all of our uncut interviews by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. 
This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.